We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! Okich. Oh, he's mother that chicken! He's mother the chicken! Well, you got it sitting in the face, and I think that's terrific. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me now is my co-host, Michael J. Fachi. And we're feeling pretty good after the Pacers took care of business in South Beach, Fachi. Ooh, Alex, it is just what the doctor prescribed. Don't look now, but the boys are just about back. The boys are just about back. Really impressive uh, sequence of games there for the Pacers. I was surprised to see them win both games. I thought, hey, if we can win that first game, I'll be happy with a split. But the way they came out and took care of business, I think they had actually won seven straight quarters before the fourth quarter against Miami in game number two. So paces are looking a little bit better, Fotch. Wow, seven straight quarters before that. That's that's pretty impressive because we knew how this team was finishing down the stretch uh, in games. That fourth quarter had just kind of been – it just continued to just uh, – you know, like we talked about in the previous episode, it, it was like a movie you had seen too many times. But I was so happy that the Pacers handled business on Friday in what looked like the most convincing game I've seen in quite some time out of them. And then they were battle-tested in overtime, and they rallied back. It was like two totally different games that we needed. We needed that. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I think this is a great confidence booster for this team. But when you look at these two wins, what's the first one that jumps out to you? It's the Miami Heat. I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a really good defensive team that was pretty much our rival last year and a team that, hey, look, it's still embarrassing to say they swept us in the playoffs. It feels like you got to get past Miami, and this, this is a team that, who knows? I don't know if we'll see them in the playoffs. It's possible, but to be able to win two straight against the Heat when they've been playing really good basketball and amongst the best defense in the league lately, it says a lot. 
Yeah, entering Friday's game, I think they were the number two defense over the last like month, mm-hmm. and they had won nine of their last ten. So I thought, man, this Heat team was really hitting, you know, all the right cylinders at the right time. And I'm like, man, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be in trouble here, and I'm really nervous about it. But I was I was just flabbergasted by how well the Pacers played. I thought overall it was excellent team basketball. I mean, seeing Levert get a little bit more of the duties to handle the ball. McConnell had 16 assists, I believe, or was it 15? I can't remember. 15. 15 assists. Yeah, Yeah, 16 points, 15 assists. Brogdon was like 7 of 9 from 3. It was just like unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't believe the way this Pacers team was playing in that first game. I I just thought that it was well-balanced. And then you go look at Sunday's game. Nobody, I think, had over 20 points, if I recall, or if they did. 17 was was the highest with some Yeah. And it was all um, it was all well balanced. McDermott was good off the bench. I mean, guys all took turns hitting big shots down the stretch. I mean, to me, this is just great team basketball, and I think that's the way the Pacers are going to win games, not relying on one player and you know to try to get them over the hump. I mean, it's cool when we see Brogdon or Sabonis or or maybe even Levert one day score thirty some points, but that's not the formula for this team to be at its best. I think it, this team at its best is one of those guys, and maybe the mid-20s, everybody else kind of filling in with like 15 to 20 range points, just kind of filling in that gap and really just hitting those open shots when they get them. Throwing some numbers at you right now, 137 points from the Pacers on Friday night, the highest all season, Uh their highest three-point percentage uh, after they go 55.6% or 20 of 36 from three. They followed up with 15 threes against Miami. So you finished the weekend shooting 45% from three. You're never mm. going to complain about that. Nope. But just when you talked about more of a balanced effort, both wins, they had seven players in double figures. That's where the Pacers need to be, a balanced effort across the board. And you got to talk about the Levert effect lately. I know he's still rusty. Yes, it's going to take some time. But I think that he's enabled everybody to be a bit more comfortable we're talking about McDermott yeah. back to the bench and he's been excelling lately we're talking about less ball handling you know responsibilities from Malcolm Brogdon and he's been excelling lately Brogdon has been on fire the last few games I know he had more of a quiet you know game against Miami uh, the other night but we're still talking about a double double out of him which will take all the time so I just feel like this Pacers team if they can be more balanced Right, that's going to be winning basketball instead of having just the two-man game, having to over-rely on Sabonis right now, which if you look at it, his shots have been down. And I think that that's kind of where the team needs to be. Not around 20 shots out of Domas, but lately he's been averaging closer to about 11. So, uh, you know, maybe it sounds like too little, but hey, if we're winning games, I'm not going to complain about it. I don't care how many shots it gets as long as we get the win. Exactly. You know, he doesn't need to be forcing up shots. I mean, there's still going to be times where he's putting – Tough situations where he does have to try to make a move. And I know at the beginning of the game on Sunday, there were some moves that I thought he could have finished, but he just fell up a little bit short to start the game, you know, missed some close ones. And, you know, you're right about Levert because what did we say the whole entire time this team was losing games? You missed that You missed that wing out there, you know, whether it was Oladipo or Levert, whoever, you missed that player. And it's not, like you said, Levert's numbers are not great. Shooting numbers have been rusty. Um, he's still getting back into rhythm, but I thought he had a big dagger in overtime. Oh, yeah. he he almost had the game winner. I thought he was a I little bit it. thinking too much, a little bit about that one when he hung in the air that way. I said, "Oh, that's not going," and that doesn't look pretty. But I think he also had some nice sequences on defense. One of the things I pointed out on Twitter, and somebody got mad at me for bringing Vic into it, but I just said I think he does a better job of not losing three point shooters. One thing I felt like even against the Cavs in the playoffs a couple years ago. 
Victor was supposed to be guarding Kyle Korver. He was like leading the league in steals that year. So he was really good at jumping the gaps, but he would always leave those shooters just a little bit too much space and then get off a good shot. And I feel like, you know, Robinson and, and Hero did not have good games all weekend. And it was really part of the Pacers' defensive scheme. But I think Levert is actually a pretty good defender when it comes to, you know, not giving guys that extra space. I just – I feel like he pays a little bit more attention to detail. But like you said, having him have the chance to play on ball, let Malcolm play off, that's awesome. So I'm not expecting him to be putting up 22 points a game and averaging eight assists and three rebounds, like whatever. I'm not expecting that stat line from him. I'm just expecting him to be that reliable wing player that gives you a better option – and it gives you a little bit of a chance to go smaller because now if McConnell's playing the way he's playing, McDermott's playing the way he's, he, way, way he's been playing all year long, then you can go smaller when it's necessary. And uh, I think that's a good topic of discussion we should discuss as we looked at that fourth quarter and that overtime playing only one center, Fachi. Yeah, I mean, hey, right now we, we saw it to, to the point where, look, we want Sabonis and Miles Turner to work together. We wanted to. It's been an experiment for years, but – Go with whatever's going to be the best option to win, and we don't need to tear the other one down in the process for that because there's going to be times where if you mix and match, it works. Maybe, you know, you combine them together and it works, but if you have to stagger their minutes and you win, why bash the other one? Because at the end of the day, we just want to win. Yeah, and I, and I think what's funny is, like, for so long, we've been a part of this conversation, but most of Pacers Twitter has been, you know, we got to go, we got to play one center, we got to play modern basketball. And last night, Miles Turner played really well through three quarters, but did not get into the game in the fourth quarter till the very end of the game. And everybody was upset because they're like, where's Turner? Why isn't he out on the floor? And it became this Domas versus Miles thing again. And it's really just getting to be tiring at this point. It does not need to be Domas versus Miles. It just needs to be whatever the coach feels is best. For me personally, look, they asked him about it in the postgame press conference, and what did he say? He said, maybe I should have put him in earlier. Maybe I should have figured out a way to get him back in there because of how pivotal he is to our defense. However, if you go back and look, Sabonis made a two-point shot to extend the lead from nine to 96-92 to 98-92. That was the last made basket by the Pacers. He called a timeout the very next play. Duncan Robinson made a three, cut the lead to three. Pacers missed a shot. Karis Leverted. Bam Adebayo made a dunk. And then, then the Pacers went down, missed a couple shots. Turner entered the game. It was a one-point game. Jimmy Butler got fouled, which was a terrible call. He flopped on the ground. He went one or two from the free throw line game over. Mm -hmm. So it's like there was a 90-second stretch there. It was not the best Pacers moment, no. But Levert had a chance to win it there at the end of the game. If he hits that shot at the end of the game, we're not talking about, oh, should Turner have been in more? Like, it just it, to me, it's just this narrative of trying to compare these two. Look, we know what they're good at. We know Miles is a better defender. We know Domas is a better offensive player. For like eight minutes, that unit of Lavert, um, Justin Holiday, Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. McConnell, and Sabonis had been had been going back and forth with Miami and maintaining a lead. So Bjorkren, in my opinion, felt like he didn't need to put Turner back in at that moment because that group was playing collectively well together. Then comes overtime, Sabonis fouls out. And during that fourth quarter, I should say Sabonis played with five fouls the entire time. Then coming to overtime, they went right at Domas. He picks up that six foul. Turner comes in. The Heat go on a 5-0 run to start overtime, and then the Pacers close it down on an 11-3 run. So, yes, I understand, like, hey, 
Is Turner important to our defense? 100%. Did he have some really nice moments in overtime? Yes, but he had some really bad moments too. That allowed Miami to get a little bit of a lead, had some bad turnovers. And I I think what we're missing here, in my opinion, is Justin Holiday had two humongous threes in overtime that put this team back in the game and gave Miles that opportunity to have those crucial blocks where he had back-to-back blocks on Trevor Ariza and Bam Adebayo. This is not a, a diss on Miles, and it's not a let me praise a bonus. This is a thing where I'm just sitting here. I am f- not frustrated, but it's very just annoying, I guess you could say, to every time we watch a game, we have to compare these two. And, and, and if they want to play them together and that's the best option and you feel like McConnell should be on the bench, then you got to do that. You got to figure out a way to make them both happy because sitting your two-time all-star at the end of games because you feel like he's going to make you lose if, if, if Turner's not out there. I don't think that's going to sit well with the franchise, especially if you're talking about wanting to maintain happiness with players that are guys you want to keep around. That's not going to make them want to stay here in Indiana. So finally, my last point on this rant, Fachi, because I know that it's I'm just kind of jacked up a little bit in a sense about this whole thing. Everybody has to compare everything. I feel like we're overanalyzing. I understand some people do it for their jobs, so I'm not criticizing those that cover the team and feel like they have to analyze games like that. But the fan base has been so divided between these two Everything has to be, you know, if you don't praise Domas, then you're a mile stand and a Domas hater and vice versa. It doesn't have to be that way. I think I kind of miss back in the day when I wasn't on Twitter and I just watched the game and I didn't have to look at everybody's different takes because so many different takes can influence people to think a certain way. And quite frankly, I'm just kind of to the point where it's like, look, both guys are really impactful for this team. It's going to take a lot for the Pacers to move them in a trade. They're going to want a lot back. Um, and, and, and it doesn't matter who they end up keeping or who they don't keep. I just, they got to make the right move going forward. But for me personally, let's stop comparing because both these guys are very impactful in different ways. And if you think that solo miles is the best option, I'll just tell you, go back and watch the playoffs last year. We got swept without Domas. He is very important to this team and, and he does a lot of great things. So we have to realize that both these guys are important and not try to compare them 24 seven. Of course, we have to stop fishing for a narrative. There has always been one throughout the season. The high amount of minutes that Bjorkman's playing, the the lack of youth development. Uh, you know, Turner and my and, and Sabonis, you got to split them up. It's like, guys, let's just be happy when we get a win. We just won, and all of a sudden, it immediately goes to bashing Bjorkman for for sitting out Turner too long. Like. Yes, he could have brought him in, you know, a little bit earlier. Maybe it would have made a difference. But just like you said, he was ninety seconds away from a win. I agree. I know if Levert hits that shot, I don't think that's that's a narrative at all. So it, it comes down to guys, just let them succeed. We don't need to choose sides on you know who you represent or whatever. I represent the Pacers. That's 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 who I'm pulling for. I want the team to win no matter what happens. It's like we stopped hearing about you know the, the minutes narrative lately and it seems to be more along the lines of now you know Turner versus Sabonis again and how many years are we going to keep doing this so I just want to be happy when we get a win because we saw for a while they weren't too easy to come by no, so that's I, that's how I felt I didn't I didn't care who was on the court Foch no. I just wanted to win the game when Sabonis fouled out and Turner came in and I kept seeing like as soon as the Pacers went into overtime and I kept seeing all the, t- the, the tweets on my timeline why isn't Turner in the game? Why isn't Turner in the game? Why isn't Turner in the game? I said, oh, this is going to become the narrative now. As soon as Sabonis fouled out, because I was surprised that they didn't go back to the starters to start overtime. I agree. He, he put McConnell back in. That was a little bit perplexing to me. 
and he, and he put Turner on the bench. And then Sabonis gets that six foul, fouls out of the game, goes with Turner. And it was not great. Obviously, Turner hadn't been playing a lot, so he might have been a little rusty coming right in the game. But you know what? It's just like it became this huge narrative. Turner has two amazing blocks, and all of a sudden he saves the game. He's the reason we win the game, and, and it becomes Turner's only reason we won. When to me personally, it's like, did you not see the rest of the game when Justin Holliday hit those two threes in overtime, when, when Malcolm hit that three, when, when Karras hit that big jumper at the end to extend the lead? It was like, look, I understand why we get so excited about what Turner's doing because Turner's having his best year as a pacer. Mm-hmm. But so I think Sabonis is probably having his best year as a pacer too, but it's just, it's coming a lot of losses because we've been without some of our key guys. And so, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. And if anybody's mad listening to this being like, Oh, you're such a Sabonis, you know, defender and a miles hitter. It's not even that because we've had conversations, you know, that we've had conversations about Turner trade ideas. And I can imagine people are saying like, Oh, you know, like you guys are wanting to trade Turner in the offseason. Like, eh, you know, not really. I think we just thought he would be, be traded more than likely um, if they were trying to make a major change with, with the coaching change and all that kind of stuff. And clearly they moved Vic, and clearly they thought about moving Miles. So I don't think mm-hmm. we were off base on that. And if they're going to pick between one of those two guys, whether you like it or not, they're going to pick Sabonis because he's yeah. a two-time All-Star. And if you trade your two-time All-Star and keep a defensive guy who has not made uh, All-NBA defense, I don't believe yet, no. and has not won a defensive player of the year, but in your mind, you think he is. I mean, I understand the logic behind both of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. trying to take a side right now. I'm just trying to say, like, look, quit putting these two up against each other. Just enjoy the game. Let's let's just enjoy these wins because, quite frankly, it's not been easy this year, like you said, Foch. And I, I just wish that the fan base would do a better job of understanding both of their importances without having to put one down to raise the other one up. Oh, yeah. And one one last example about that is of just comparing them is – I saw when, you know, it's 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 a real thing. People have been calling about Miles Turner lately. They have. And then I started to see other fans start to say, well, how come teams how come teams aren't calling about Sabonis? See, I guess he's not that valuable after all. It's like because he's not available. He, it's not an option. It's like, look, I'm not saying Turner's available because I don't want to move him at all. But if you look at the Pacers, you're saying Sabonis two-time all-star, okay, yeah, I don't think Indiana is going to move him right now at all. Maybe we might have better luck calling for Turner. It does not mean you need to then compare their trade value right over there. You know, it's like a nonstop comparison that never ends when it's almost like you're expecting these guys to be like rivals or something. It's like, no, they make virtually the same amount of money. They're happy to play together. It's like there's there's no beef here, you know? And I'm not even sure what Turner's – value is amongst the league because Charlotte is a team that is very interested in him and interested in him. And that's reports that are coming out from Zach Lowe from different people. So one of our good friends, I'm not going to say his name, but he is a guy that covers Charlotte Hornets. I reached out to him and I said, what would you offer that you feel is fair for miles Turner? And he said, Zeller's expiring Devonte Graham, a lottery protected uh, 21 first round pick that converts to multiple seconds in the following years. If it doesn't convey this off season, I said, no way that's how no Indiana's going to handle it. No, Indiana's not going to give up Miles Turner for a lottery-protected first-round pick and two bench guys. They're not giving up a starter for that. I'm sorry. No. And I said that back, and he said, I'd be surprised, and I said that you would have to give up one of P.J. Washington or uh, – uh, oh, 
Bridges. Malik Monk or Bridges. Miles Bridges. Yeah. Miles Bridges. I mean, yeah. That would be way and, better. But yeah, I mean, and and he said, I'd I'd be surprised if Charlotte handed over one of Miles or PJ Washington. An unpredicted first definitely isn't happening. He said Turner is a nice player, great defender, but quite limited offensively. And I don't think that his ceiling on that end is all that high. So I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that I agree with that because I pushed back and said I, I think that Turner actually is an elite defender in the league, leading yes. shot blocker for a reason. And, and the Pacers aren't giving him up. Like when they were trading him for Gordon Hayward in that kind of kind of trade scenario, that was because they were getting a starter back. You're not just going to give up Miles Turner to get to an expiring contract and a guy that plays the same position yeah. in the backcourt that you're already loaded in. So also, Miles has elevated his game since then. Yes, you know, it's it's like it's not like his value, his trade value is going to go down since then. No, it, it's gone up. Yeah, and he's going to be 25 uh, actually on Wednesday. So, you know, it's it's not like he's old. He's a very no. young player. He's got a long career ahead of him, and he's, and he's only going to get better on the defensive side of things. Offensively, I don't know how much he's worth, I guess, or how much he's going to improve. I shouldn't say worth, but how much more he's going to improve because especially with this roster, I feel like he's kind of solidified into a certain role where he's not going to get a bigger opportunity. But yeah. w- with that being said, I mean, I know we're rambling a lot about this whole situation, but I-, I mean, honestly, guys, when it comes to the Pacers right now, let's see how these guys do in the playoffs before we decide what guy is the better guy because we don't really need to decide that. If they're winning games and they're able to play together and you can play them solo minutes, I get that Turner, prob- Turner does have a positive solo minute compared to the Sabonis, but I think that some of those numbers are skewed based on those roster combinations and who they're playing against as well versus larger sample size and smaller sample size, but we get it. These guys are both completely different players. You put them together, they're a perfect player together, but separately they bring amazing things on both ends of the floor. Let's just stop with uh, trying to make a narrative every single game on who's more important to the team because it's just getting very exhausting. Exactly. And one last thing on that topic. I know you mentioned Turner has a more positive rating on the court. Sabonis is also playing about six more minutes per game. It's like that. That's that's got to be wor- worth you know a point or two here or there. I'm sure if you played him less, his value on the court would probably be higher. But uh, you know, it, it it is what it is. You can't look into every single number because they'll have you believe in a guy that barely even plays as one of the highest pers in the league if you're just going to go off of certain individual stats. Yeah, no, and, and that's what the thing with numbers, like that's why I was saying earlier, like sometimes we get so into the numbers that we don't just enjoy watching the game. I and, completely agree. And it's like, you know, I, I mean, I always bring it up because it's the only thing I can really remember from like five years ago, but Kawhi Leonard, you know, the, the Spurs had a better defense with him off the floor. It's like, are we serious now? Um, it's just the numbers were better when he wasn't on the floor, but it's like, is Kawhi Leonard winning defensive player of the year because the Spurs numbers are better with him off the floor? Like, no, it's just like, Come on, like, let's just stop with – I'm not saying that numbers aren't bad because there's numbers involved in literally everything that you talk about when it comes to the, when it comes to sports. But I'm not going to sit here and overanalyze every single thing just because I wanted to fit a narrative on how I feel. But at the same time, like I said, there's guys that cover the, cover the Pacers, and I think they do a great job of it, and that's their job to do it. Mm-hmm. That's their job to point out certain things they see. But the fan base – has become so divided between these two guys that it's like you can't even enjoy a win without having a conversation about who should have been in and who shouldn't have been in and why you're mad about it. It's like you got the win. Who cares? You know, Turner came in. He closed the game out. Sabonis fouled out. You know what? Good for Turner. But what if Sabonis had fouled out in the fourth quarter and you put Miles in for the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter? Do we win the game or lose the game? Who knows? Nobody knows. Like, it's just – 
all these unknowns, everybody can say, oh, well, Turner would have won us the game if he would have been in regulation because the numbers say that we're a positive eight points with them on the court. It's like, oh, okay, maybe, 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 yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not. And it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just an unknown. Same with when you say, oh, we can't trade for this player because that player doesn't fit with our team. Well, I mean, how do you know that if he's not been on the team yet? So it's just. He, <laughs> it's here, just here's, here's what I want to say in, 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 this, in this situation. This was a team win. This was a team win. The Pacers were right with Miami in rebounding. Miami had 51 rebounds. The Pacers had 50 rebounds. That's as good as you can ask. Uh, the Pacers out-rebounded Miami the previous game. So it's like they stepped up on the rebounding right over there. The free throws were very comparative. The Pacers went to the line 20 times. The Heat went 23. Like you mentioned, Justin Holiday, two massive threes. McDermott gives you 15 off the bench. McConnell gives you 12 points and seven assists. Like he played really good. Miles Turner played really well. Like Sabonis had 17 and 11. Like it's like even Brogdon, like I mentioned, he had a double double and he struggled shooting from the field. It's just this was a team effort. Lavert hits the 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 game ceiling shot in overtime. You know to kind of salvage a rough shooting night. It, it was everybody played a pivotal role here. So we yeah. can't just crown one player as hey. You won us the game, and one player, oh, you almost lost us the game. Yeah, and, and what I'm going to say is if you're if you're really that big of a fan of Bjorkren, I'm going to trust him to know what guys to play, what combinations to play, because he's been coaching a lot more than I have. And oh, yeah. coaching is not just X's and O's and, and numbers. It's feel for the game. And if he felt like that group was clicking, I'm just going to trust him with it. You know, he has all the confidence that Miles can play great defense and help that team. That's why when he went in for Sabonis, you know, he and it didn't seem like he was too worried about it but all i'm gonna say flash is we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is what it is at this point. Let's just enjoy the wins that come because it's been hard to get wins this year, especially the last month or so. So I'm just going to take every win that I can and enjoy it. And I'm going to enjoy what both these guys bring to this team. But uh, we need to take a quick break so we can gather our thoughts and get back to some other conversations. And one of the conversations we're going to come up, come back with is Aaron Holiday did not play in yesterday's game against the Miami Heat and was not part of the rotation in either of these games. So we're going to talk about that and uh, what this means. For the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. 
Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. This feature when we come back. All right, everybody, we are back and we're going to step into the debate room a little bit here. And Fachi and we are going to discuss a player that has a lot of interest around the league, and that's Aaron Holiday. And, and me and Fachi kind of are on two different sides on this conversation. But as far as Aaron Holiday's playing time has gone over the last couple of games, he has lost a spot in the rotation. So, Fachi, um, let the listeners know what side of the fence you're on. Sure. I'm on the, the side of the fence that this could be spelling potentially the end of Aaron Holiday's time here. Uh, you know, there is rumors that other teams are calling about him. Sure, his value is down. But the Pacers have to make a pivotal decision as they as they move on because he will be due a new contract soon. I don't think that he's gotten better, unfortunately. Love him as a player, but you also have a guy like TJ McConnell as a free agent. So the Pacers, they do have to make a decision, and they got to make it, you know, relatively soon. So your whole stance, so we're talking about why, I guess the, the question that we're going to debate mm-hmm. is why isn't Aaron Holiday in the rotation and why has he not succeeded this season? So Fachi, sure. uh, I'll let you you start off with what you think. Sure. So an interesting tweet, and I would say it could be my tweet of the week, was from Scott Agnes saying Aaron Holiday is one of three players uh, three Pacer players to play in every game this season along with DeMontis Sabonis and his brother Justin. That streak ended on Sunday after 40 games in Miami. He was not part of the 10-man rotation. Now, crunching some numbers lately for Aaron Holiday, we all know that it has been a rough season for Aaron Holiday. We we saw his minutes in the beginning from December through February. He was averaging 19 and a half minutes in the month of March. He is down to 11.4 minutes per game. But in the eight games that he's appeared in, you're starting to see those minutes go down and down and down to uh, the other day. It was just three minutes, and that was in a blowout to Miami. So I don't think he would have played in that game either. Now, here's where I'm going to come across of why I think that his minutes are down. A, we're talking about Karis LeVert has been back for five games now. Now, LeVert, he's averaging 31.4 minutes per game. And rightfully so. You need to get him those reps. This is a guy that we've all been very excited about and will be a big part of this team moving forward. We've seen Jeremy Lamb's minutes go from 26 per game in January to then 22.4 to now 15.8 per game. Yes, his production has fallen off of a cliff, but I think due to the money that he's making, being more of a veteran, uh, being able to play the 2-3, I think that he's someone that, you know, you need to have him in the rotation. I don't think he's going to completely fall out of the rotation. Then you have TJ McConnell. McConnell is someone that from December through January, he was averaging roughly 19 minutes per game. He saw an uptick to 30.3 minutes per game. And now with Lavert coming back, McConnell's lost a couple of minutes, but I think he's also snatched some of Aaron's minutes. Lastly, we have Edmund Sumner, a guy that we have been very vocal, that we want to see more of. And I'm going to be honest, Alex, he has earned those minutes. We've seen Sumner go from playing no minutes in the beginning of the year to then he goes from 11.6 minutes per game down to 8.4 to now up to 15.7 minutes per game. I like what I've seen out of Ed- Edmund Sumner this year. A double-digit streak of minutes in 11 straight games. And I'm going to be honest, this guy has improved. This month, he's averaging 6.8 points per game on 49% shooting. And the three ball is actually very respectful now. Respectable, 37.5%. To sum it up, Edmund Sumner has gotten better. 
TJ McConnell is someone that is vital to this team and has outworked Aaron Holiday. And then you got Jeremy Lamb, who right now you're kind of stuck where you have to play him. If he's moved, I think it'll open up minutes for Aaron. But bottom line, Aaron Holiday has not gotten better. We waited for him to get better. And last year, I saw some hope from three-point range. This year, it just you could count on one hand how many good games he's had, and that's the problem. Well, I think last year, if you look at Aaron Holiday's production, he succeeded terrifically in McMillan's system. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like he was best when he was playing that two guard next to Malcolm in that starting rotation. And, and, and Bjorken tried to do that, and it wasn't working. And I think a lot of it has to do with Bjorken's system and, and how he utilizes Aaron Holiday compared to how McMillan used him. So I'm going to throw this back a little bit on Bjorken because Bjorken was brought in here to develop these guys. TJ McConnell is a 28-year-old player who's on an expiring contract, and a lot of Pacer fans, we both thought the same thing, thought there was a good chance, number one, if he wouldn't be brought back, and if he was brought back, he'd be more in that third-string role, and Aaron would be getting those backup point guard minutes. Instead, they forced Aaron to play the two-guard, and Aaron is completely undersized to play the two-guard in the backup role. Um, it works when he plays next to Malcolm because Malcolm's six foot six and can guard those kind of guys, but Aaron's just not a great defender, especially with guys that are three or four inches taller than him. So McConnell is having a terrific year, but we saw what McConnell did in the playoffs last year. Ooh, he was borderline unplayable. Mm-hmm. Aaron Holiday struggled as well in the playoffs, but I thought that was his only real run. Uh, he had one game against the Celtics of the year before when he played for McDermott in game four under, under McMillan, got some of those minutes from uh, McDermott. But to me, when I look at this, and I'm having a debate with you, I give Edmund Sumner all the praise in the world all the time. He should be playing over Aaron Holiday at this point. McConnell this season has proven why he should be playing over him, but I think the reason that Aaron Holiday has not succeeded as a player the way you want him to is because the backcourt's too crowded and because Bjorkren has prioritized winning now over development long-term. And I think if, if, if McConnell doesn't resign with the Pacers for some reason next year, and he gets a little bit more money than the Pacers are willing to spend or able to spend without going into luxury tax because as much as we all like McConnell, they're not going to overspend on either McDermott or McConnell and get into the luxury tax with how much money they've got tied up into these guys right now with Aaron Holiday. They have a guy that they can control on a rookie contract. He's been in multiple trade rumors. I think that's the problem for me. Teams aren't calling about McConnell. They're calling about Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday is younger. He's got a lot of good skill sets. He's, I think he will flourish on another team. But with this team, I think that the Pacers and Bjorkens specifically, I think it's short-sighted um, because they're more worried about getting wins and keeping the fan base happy this season than they are about the long-term development of Aaron Holiday because I think Aaron Holiday as the backup point guard for the future could be a better option. That's why they moved up from Corey Joseph. Uh, I, I, I think McConnell knew when he came in that, hey, you're going to have to fight for your minutes. And we know McConnell's a fighter. I'm not going to downplay that, but I think that it's more Bjorkren holding back Aaron Holiday from succeeding and getting to that. He's not unlocked the the gate to getting Aaron Holiday to where he needs to be. And now they're saying, well, we're willing to trade him for a first-round pick. He ain't getting no first-round pick. No, he's not. What kind of value does he have as the 10th man or the 11th man on the roster? I mean, come on. Like, this is a guy that you think, oh, he's a young asset. The team's won. Yeah, they won him, but they would definitely want him now that he's out of the rotation. So – I, I think that the Pacers have done a horrible job of really developing their young players over the years, and 
you know, Goga's finally starting to get some run. We're starting to see some improvements. But really, if you look at the whole entire draft class from Kevin Pritchard, the only one that's consistently gotten a chance now and improved the most is Edmund Sumner. And, um, yeah, so moving on from McMillan was actually a major downfall, in my opinion, for Aaron Holiday. And I think Bjorkman has done a poor job of trying to untap his potential. Yeah, I mean, when Bjorkman was coming in, I was looking at that Toronto roster. I saw, you know, Fred Van Vliet, OG, uh, Norman Powell, all guys that had gotten better that were not high draft picks. Yes, OG was a first-round pick, but not a high draft pick. So I thought this is going to be great for Aaron, but it hasn't, and I, I think that competition brings out the best in people. We've seen TJ McConnell scratch and claw since the days of the Trust the Process 76ers, and he has outworked Aaron Holiday. We saw Edmund Sumner go from not getting minutes for so long to just when given an opportunity, he's made the most of them. He's hustled. He, he's brought energy, and he brings more length. These guys, I mean, not outside of McConnell, the rest of them, they're bigger than Aaron. What is Aaron in this league? Is he a point guard or an undersized two guard? Because right now they're kind of trying to go at, at both positions. And I just think at the two guard, when you're talking about it, he's way too undersized for yep. that. And it's a problem. And I don't think that he's being put in the best position to succeed. But when it comes to what you can produce in your playing time, Alex, he was given a lot of opportunities to produce. There was a time earlier in the year where he was getting consistently, you know, about 20 minutes per game and he wasn't making it happen. Yeah. No, I mean, that that's a fair point because he, he I think a lot of it is just on Aaron Holiday himself. I think he's uh, a, a guy that gets very frustrated when he doesn't succeed. I mean, I think Quinn, so. Quinn Buckner cracks me up because every time Aaron comes in the game, he goes, Aaron's a scorer, Aaron's this. And I think sometimes we look at point guards as guys that are floor generals. They set the they yeah. set the offense up. They're, they can't be a scorer. They used to be. Yeah, I, but I don't think that's the way that the game is played anymore. Like, you it's know, T.J. McConnell looks for his shot some, but McConnell does a great job of getting others involved. And, like, McConnell's energy is so contagious. Like, it's it is. It, it's really hard to sit there and, and make a fair case like, oh, McConnell shouldn't be playing over Aaron Holiday. I'm not making that case, but I am making the case that, look, Aaron had several opportunities, you know, with McMillan to showcase this game. And I thought there was much bigger games like the game winner against the Magic the big threes down the stretch against the Raptors when, when Bjorkman was on the sideline for uh, Nick Nurse, when he, when, the, when it was Turner and, and Aaron Holiday two years, or last year, I believe it was, when they were knocking down those shots at the end of uh, regulation and overtime, and he was getting into Serge Ibaka's face, and he was getting all mm -hmm. hyped, and I was loving it. I was like, this is the Aaron I want to see. This is the young player you invested in, probably their best first-round draft pick of the Kevin Pritchard era. Mm -hmm. Now he's the 11th man on the rotation. It's just like – you know, but but like I said, it, it's very hard to justify him getting minutes with the way he's played over Sumner and McConnell. So I agree with you in that aspect, but I think that Bjorken has not done a fair enough job or a good enough job uh, of utilizing and untapping that potential. But I think we should leave this up to the fans. Let us. I think we should let it, let them decide what they think. And so we'll put a tweet out on setting the pace three and say, what do you think is the reason for Aaron Holiday's lack of growth is it Aaron Holiday himself is it Bjorkman's inability to tap into that potential or is it because other guys are out playing him I think it's actually kind of all three yeah. <laughs> but but uh I Here's think we see should what the poll says. Uh, see what see what the uh, the poll says we'll, we'll give that option as well because if it if it's a tie I'm fine with the tie um because I feel like my point of view was probably the worst <laughs> but 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not fair to me anyway to not give Sumner and McConnell the minutes they have earned because you're trying to tap into someone's potential. But at the same time, if you really value that potential and value that player going forward, then you have to make that kind of sacrifice. And and here here's where I'll say to, to kind of end that is last year, I remember in the beginning of the year, Aaron Holiday had a super short leash with Nate McMillan. And I remember it felt like it was almost like if he did one wrong thing, you know, he would be taken out. Maybe he wouldn't play for a couple games. And I felt like it made him work that much harder mm-hmm. to be like, you know what, when I'm given my next opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it. And I feel like he did make the most of it. At one point, Aaron Holiday, I remember he was shooting 40% from three last year and I was like this guy this guy could be a double digit scorer off the bench maybe a six man for us and I just haven't seen it this year and and maybe Bjorkren has failed him you know to to an instance Uh, maybe he has to a degree but I feel like the other guys like Edmund Sumner we've seen him at times only play it play for like three minutes maybe hit a three or get a steal we're like why isn't he playing more you know, yep. and it's like that's making the most of the opportunity, and that's what I want to see Aaron do. Yeah, and, and now that opportunity might have passed him Maybe. as the Pacers approach a trade deadline. So when we come back, we'll touch on that, and we'll uh, look at the trade deadline and see if the Pacers could make a move. All right, everybody, we're back. And so recently, Fachi, you know, obviously it's trade deadline season. We've been seeing a lot of trades roaming around. And, I mean, I guess um, is there any player out there that seems realistically gettable for the Pacers in your eyes? For, for Aaron Holiday, straight up, I don't really – no one really comes to mind. I think you'd have to attach him with a Jeremy Lamb to make that salary right around $15 million. Yeah, see, I, I think – I still think my ideal trade would just try to get off Jeremy Lamb's contract and maybe attach a second for uh, Bielitsa from Sacramento. Okay. I just I just feel like that makes the most sense, and I know there was a report, I think, that came out that Sacramento does not want to take on expirings. It looks like Orlando's having a fire sale down there. Um, it looks like they want a young player plus a pick for Terrence Ross. I don't know if that'll get it done. If you can maybe try to get Jeremy and uh, give Jeremy and Aaron for, for Terrence Ross. I mean, I think that'd be interesting. Evan Fournier is available as well. I mean, I actually think he's, he'd be a pretty solid bench player. I think oh, yeah. I actually think he would fit the team pretty well um, coming off the bench. If you could somehow part ways with uh, lamb and, and holiday and make that money work. Um, just just because I feel like you would probably take Sumner's spot, unfortunately, but offensively, like what he would provide. You're getting an upgrade. You're getting sure. an upgrade of players. So, um, and other than that, I just think when it comes to Aaron Holiday, like his value is super low right now. So this might not be the most ideal tra- time it's to trade him. Not. It's just but, not. But it's um, it's something to look at. I think Lamb is still very much available. I I don't know. What 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 do you think the what do you think the Pacers do with Doug McDermott? What What do you think they do come deadline time? I think they ride it out. I think they do. I think McDermott's been a real good contributor for the Pacers that I think they probably have in their mind. They they feel confident that they could re-sign Doug at a reasonable number, and I think that they're willing to stay in the playoff hunt, of course, and, and keep him for now. And I think, yes, if you're going to look surely on paper from a business perspective, you can't, you don't want to let anybody walk for free. But he's playing the best ball of his career. Now that he's moved back to the bench, it feels like he's a vital option off this bench that if you trade McDermott for the future, sure, it's going to hurt you this year. I mean, what do you think they do? 
I personally think Fachi that if they get a deal that they can't turn down, like oh, of course. if this to me is like, you know, you're getting a good first for him, then I would consider it. But I don't think a team that's I don't think so. Not in the playoffs is going to trade for him because he isn't expiring, and so it's really exactly. hard. But I, but I do think that he is a really good player, and I think a lot of teams might be interested in him. Now, if you can get, like we talked about Josh Richardson, this is a guy that really does play pretty good defense. I think that's something when we could use an upgrade in as a wing defender. However, I, I just don't feel like how important um, McDermott's been to the bench. You make a trade unless it's a slam dunk. Exactly. And and I, I don't think they trade him. I think that they're going to try their best to sell whatever they can on a package of Lamb and, and, and Holiday and see if they can get an upgrade off the bench. But I don't think they're going to do anything drastic. I've seen some people really want Aaron Gordon, not just me. There are other Aaron Gordon Pacer fans out there, which is nice to see. It's nice to have yeah, – yeah, it's course. nice to be part of a fan club. But, um, but, yeah, unfortunately, I just don't think that we have what it takes to get Aaron Holiday – Unless you're including one of the one of the bigs, I, I think so. And, and look, Aaron Holiday's trade value has probably never been lower than it is right now. So, what makes you feel that you could turn Jeremy Lamb, whose trade value has probably really never been lower either, and Aaron Holiday's low trade value at this moment into something good? It just feels too good to be true. I get it. That's what we're working with to deal. But other teams are probably looking at it as, uh, you know, from the standpoint of isn't Aaron Holiday struggling and having his minutes cut? Or, eh, Jeremy Lamb coming off the ACL tear. Like, he's been pretty rough in the month of March. So it just feels like it's not adding up to a really good player. It would have to be, you know, in a situation where maybe the Pacers are, you know, taking on some salary. Because right now there's not, there's not so many teams that are in the market to just – take on Jeremy Lamb for next year just for the sake of it. I mean, we're hearing about Sacramento how, you know, every time they pay someone, they're trying to get, you know, out from the contract. Why are they going to try and, you know, trade an expiring contract and be elites it for $10.5 million of Jeremy Lamb next year? Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a, that's a very solid point. That's a very valid point. Uh, real quick, though, because it's trade, trade season, Spencer Dinwiddie's name has been linked to the Pacers as yes. well as Devontae Grams. Any thoughts on either of those two guys? Yeah, so I thought a little bit about Devontae Graham earlier because you're looking at the Hornets situation where Terry Rozier is playing very well. Malik Monk's having a career year for his standards. You know, LaMelo Ball was taking the league by storm. And then you have Devontae Graham, a guy who's struggling. And, you know, let's be honest, all four of those guards cannot fit into their future plans. They really can't. Uh, there, Aaron Holiday is a player that maybe with LaMelo Ball being out, maybe he could serve a bigger role over there. Um, for, for Graham being a second round pick, I would imagine, you know, at this point, he's probably going to be up for a new contract compared to, you know, Aaron Holiday that would have an extra year on his deal being a first round pick. But I feel like Devontae Graham could be had, and he's a player that I do like a lot. He has struggled this year, but. If you're looking at both those guys, then where's Graham going to fit in over, over here moving forward? I mean, sure, you would need to pay him. What are you going to be able to pay him? And at guard right now, it would it would be pretty tough to get him substantial minutes unless you move someone else with Aaron Holiday. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. We already got a logjam at that position. So Devontae Graham can be a microwave-type player like we hoped Aaron could be, but like this year he's not been as impactful. As he was last year, I think there's another case you could bring up with LaMelo Ball's injury. 
that Graham could have a pivotal role, you know, going forward off the bench, maybe with, with Charlotte. Uh, the name that just has recently popped up in trade rumors, um, the Atlanta Hawks are reportedly offering Cam Reddish in trade talks. Oh, I would like that. I would. I don't know what it would take, though. And you got to imagine it's at least a first-round pick, if not multiple picks, because this is a guy that was just <laughs> – he was just the 10th overall pick. I mean, he's super talented. I'm surprised that Atlanta is willing to give up on him this early in his career. I, I, I put a tweet out and said, Aaron Holiday, dot, 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 and a first, question mark. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would it. be willing to part with that. I'd do it. I, I think with this year, like the draft, it's intriguing to have a pick, but we already talked about it before. Pacers don't value their picks. No. They need a, a wing player like Cam Reddish, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And and that would give you more incentive to get off Jeremy Lamb next year in the offseason when he's an expiring contract. I think that Jeremy Lamb with that expiring deal could be more uh, appeasing to teams knowing that they get off money after the season. However, however, it, I, I just don't know if the Hawks would give up Cam no. for another point guard. Maybe. I mean, well, who's their backup point guard now in Atlanta? This is how much I watch the Hawks. Uh, they signed Chris Dunn. Okay. Chris Dunn, yeah, I mean, but you got to think, we just talked about it, uh, Nate McMillan and Aaron Hall, they have pretty good, uh, pretty good yeah. chemistry together. Oh, man, could you imagine that? If Aaron Holiday did go to Atlanta and did flourish under McMillan again, that would not be a good look for Bjorkren. <laughs> I'd be fine with it. I mean, hey, it, it, sometimes you just don't work out the right way. But, I mean, yeah, so their, their point guard situation is Rondo. Yeah, they and, got Rondo. Uh, and uh, um, but but I think Rondo and Rondo's only playing 14 minutes. So I mean he's he, for his standards, he's he has not done really much at all. I'm sure he's a veteran presence that very much helps over there, but uh you know. Yeah, Bogdan's the, coming off the bench playing 30 minutes. Which they uh, wanna they want to trade Bogdan. So with Danilo, I mean I think they're just wanting to make a little bit of a splash here, but yeah, like I don't even see him in the rotation. I don't know if he's hurt or what's going on, but Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish or Chris oh, yeah. Dunn. I know. I just looked at it right now. It looked like Chris Dunn hasn't played this year, which is pretty surprising. He used to be a, a promising uh, lotto pick. I know it didn't really work out for him, but he was always good at defense. Yeah, nah, I mean, that's true. And a lot of people like were thought like that was a pretty good pickup for him because it was a very cheap contract. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, Flash, I mean, Cam Reddish to me would be an ideal type of player to get a young wing that you hope can develop into something. And I think that it doesn't give you insurance. I don't want to say this and be mis, mis, uh, mistaken here, but it could be a bit of insurance if for some reason T.J. Warren's number gets ungodly, uh, if he gets an ungodly number, not this season, but next when he's an uh, unrestricted free agent and some team just throws him the bag, similar to Bojan, when we let him go to the Jazz. I mean, I don't, I don't think the Pacers are going to invest more than – 23 per year for him. I oh, mean, that'd no. be my... Even that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it does, but I just... 20 million ah. would, be, would, would be ideal. It'd be ideal, but I mean, if a team comes in and yeah. throws like 23, 25, I mean, would you match that? I don't think I would, but I don't know. The, the injury concern is a little bit of something to keep in mind because yeah, of him missing so much this year and then whatever. He if he likes... Past in Phoenix also. Oh, a lot of time. And so... That's something to monitor, and then you could have that young player hopefully develop into a guy that you could rely on and have him on a rookie contract. Uh, I'm, I'm daydreaming here with Cam Radish. But anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the podcast. Uh, we recorded this all before the Bucks game, and so we're going to come back and just 
touch on that Bucks game later. So uh, we'll be back tonight after the Pacers play the Bucks and give our thoughts on that. I don't know if Fachi will be able to stay up for it, so it might be some solo me minutes. But if Fachi can't make it, I'm sure I'll find someone from Pacer Nation to hop on for a few minutes and talk about the game. But hopefully we're looking at a winning streak, Fachi. Not sure uh, this could uh, you know, be kind of funny to listen back to. But it's always fun to talk about the trade deadline. It was some of the best times of the year in all of sports. The trade deadline, it's it's the mystery box all over again. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. All right, we'll be right back to recap that. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Bucks game. All right, everybody, we're back. Fachi's here to join me to talk about this Bucks Pacers game. Not a whole lot to talk about. Um, there's still eight minutes and 37 seconds left in the fourth with the Pacers trail 119 to 100. And we felt like now would be a good time to come on and then just talk about this before it got any later. Fachi. Uh, just your overall thoughts on tonight's game. Man, I, I'm not going to lie. First part when we were recording this, I was jacked up. No Giannis. Anything could happen. Then all of a sudden, Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner, you know, we mentioned earlier, they were, they were questionable, but ruled out. Oh, it sucked the wind out of me. And uh, I guess maybe it did these Pacers because the Bucks dropped 48 points on the Pacers in the first quarter. It was embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing is an understatement Fachi. i mean the, the bucks couldn't miss from three it was unbelievable they still haven't really shot uh they really haven't missed a whole lot of threes they're actually 20 of 34 this game shooting 55.6 percent at this moment they are unbelievable from three-point line right now and uh all, all i gotta say is like pat Connaughton was unreal <laughs> in tonight's game the dude could not miss and it felt like every three that he hit was a dagger if you look at the three-point differential between the Pacers and the and the Bucks, the Bucks had eight more threes made, I believe, or yeah, nine more now. As we're looking at, as we're going live, it's twenty-seven points. We're down by twenty-two. I mean, that's the difference in the game. It's just the made three-point shots, and unfortunately, just the first quarter just really set the tone for this game. And um, not even sure if it would have mattered who was out there on the floor tonight. I don't really think it would have. I mean, I'm sure if Miles Turner played, you know, maybe they don't score 48 in the first. But I I would imagine they're still going to – they still would have convincingly won. This is a game that you would have wanted Brogdon and Turner in. And maybe, Warren. <laughs> and TJ Warren, yes. Then things probably could have been different. Uh, the first quarter, I mean, think about this. McDermott hits a three to start the game. I'm going, let's go. And then there was a 19-0 run by the Bucs. Yeah. I, I couldn't say anything. I just sat there and I went, this has to end at some point, right? And well, then I went, they might hit 50. Well, I think, <laughs> yeah, that that was hilarious to me. It was that huge run. I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those Bucks games. But I think the funniest moment was when Drew Holiday hit his first basket. I think he was the one that made the first points for the, for the Bucs. Quinn goes, 
Oh, I think I think Drew's the better, the best holiday out of all the three of them. I'm like, oh, I'm, oh that's well, not up for debate. <laughs> yeah, like uh, okay, Quinn, thanks for that great insight. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on Quinn, but it's just like, come on, now that that's pretty oh, obvious. No. I mean, we're not trading uh, Justin or Aaron for four first round picks, right? So, but, um, no. but yeah. So anyway, I mean, this game, it's like we always struggle against the Bucks. It doesn't matter. I think last time we played the Bucks after the third quarter, we were down by 34 points on ESPN. So tonight we're, you know, struggling again. Obviously it hurts not having Brogdon and Turner and this team is playing their third game in four nights. They're tired. They've been traveling a lot. They've only had like one home game in the past couple of weeks. So yeah, I mean, it's bound to happen. They had two really impressive games against Miami, but I will say this in that third quarter, Fachi, the, the brightest spot of the game to me was Karis Levert in the third quarter, 15 points, Started started getting his rhythm, and I think, you know, you saw that first half. He was clanking a lot of shots. They looked really bad. I mean, it was hitting every part of the rim, and, and it just looked really unsmooth, you know, just very, very uh, rusty, I guess you could say. But I'm, I'm glad that he had that third quarter because, personally, for me, that was big for the future and him getting more comfortable in this offense, number one, and just getting comfortable getting back out on the court and getting used to those shots again after being off for six weeks. Of course. In a game like this, look, if you're not going to win, use this to be able to sh- continue to shake off the rust, you know, get your shots up. Uh, I think that for Levert, it was good that he was able to get it going. Uh, on a little bit of a side note, you know who else finally got it going? Jeremy Lamb. Yeah. Another good game for him to snap out of his slump because, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, his production has fallen off of a cliff. Well, as we're recording this, he has 21 points, six rebounds, five assists on eight of 14 shooting. So that's as good as it gets for Lamb. Uh, I think that that was kind of much needed. And look, if we're going to look at it glass half full, if we're going to lose this game, at least you got to rest Brogdon and Turner. Because like we talked about moments ago, I don't think they would have made that much of a difference. They would have made a difference for sure, mm-hmm. but the way that first quarter went, I, I I would like to think that those two wouldn't have you know held the Bucks to twenty less points in the quarter. Yeah, it, uh, Jeremy Lane was a plus six for the Pacers right now. Everybody else has a negative number, negative plus minus. I don't I don't love to look at pl- plus minus, but I just find it funny to look at it sometimes. <laughs> and Jeremy Lamb's the only one that's got a positive force on the court tonight. Like literally in the second quarter, he was the offense. They had nothing yeah. else going for him. But I gotta ask you. What did you think about Edmund Sumner starting? It was an interesting move because, look, we know they like McConnell off the bench. That's known. Like him with second unit, all that. I get that. You know, his starts are very far and few between. But I kind of thought this was a big opportunity for Aaron Holiday, someone who we also, you know, talked deeply about before and – I know you want the questions about Sumner. Sumner didn't deliver tonight. It's unfortunate because he did get the start, but he just was not effective. One of five as we're recording this right now. I mean, no one in the starting unit has a good plus minus, so we're not going to go off that. But I just, I just felt like Sumner didn't impact the game in any real way where he had a big opportunity to. And his counterpart, Aaron Holiday, Alex, this is this, this is bad. <laughs> It's bad. It's bad. I mean, zeros across the board. Only thing that he's got numbers in rebound. Well, that and and the uh, and the attempts that he's missed. (laughs) Oh, for five. Oh, for five. Oh, for oh, for three. It's just from three. It's just not looking good for Aaron. 
I don't want to kick a guy while he's down, but we talked about how opportunities have been so hard. You know, lately his minutes have dwindled to the point where he got his first, did not play coach's decision the other day, and now he just went over 5 in a game where there was no Brogdon. I mean, this could have been his opportunity to really, you know, maybe – shine maybe i don't know 10 15 points maybe get some ball movement going something where it's like oh no no no, aaron holiday like he needs his minutes he you need to carve out some minutes and tonight he didn't show that justin holiday one of ten all from three aaron holiday oh five right now combined for one of 15 <laughs> drew holiday 11 of 15 <laughs> it's, it's bad so that oh, like buckner uh you know, I don't want to call it an assumption or a conclusion, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think he's right. I think Drew Holiday might be a bit better. Yeah, so you have Middleton, 4 of 6 from 3. Drew Holiday, 5 of 6 from 3. Pat Condon, 6 of 7 from 3. Bryn Forbes, 4 of 8 from 3. Bobby Portis, 2 of 4. DiVincenzo, 2 of 5. The only person to not make a 3 that attempted one was Brooke Lopez. He was 0 of 2. Every other guy on the entire Bucks roster shot 40% or higher from 3-point land. Mm. I mean, th- that's just ridiculous. And the Pacers literally had, at this point, nine more 3-pointers attempted than the Bucks, so it's just unbelievable. Sixty point five percent now from Milwaukee to the Pacers twenty five point five. Hey, so you live by the three, you die by the three, and this is a game that the Bucks are living by the three point line. They are hitting everything. Obviously, no Giannis. Don't want to get into the game too much. It's kind of hard not to sit here and ramble about it. But what I will say is, you got a big opportunity to get back on the winning track against a Detroit team that's not been playing very well all year long. On Wednesday night, hopefully Turner and Brogdon are healthy and ready to go for that one. But I just think, you know, you lose your starting point guard and you lose your starting center. And you're already without your starting small forward um, playing three bench guys with your two starters. It, it's 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 a recipe for losing. I mean, no other way to put it. And uh, it's, uh, it's all right. We got two wins against the Heat. We got the tiebreaker against Miami. Um, we know Milwaukee is just a superior team. They've been unbelievable of late. Uh, I, I, I believe if I checked last, I mean, they've won like have not 10. lost Have not lost since the All-Star break. Yeah, they've won uh, nine of their last ten. They're on fire. They're the hottest team in the Eastern Conference right now. And they've got a pretty loaded roster outside of Giannis and totally forgot that I traded for P.J. Tucker, even though it just happened like six days ago. Yep. Now Milwaukee is clicking. I mean, look. If Brogdon and Turner played and we lost this game, I would have been like, man, we have no business competing against Milwaukee <laughs> at all. I still don't uh, think we do. <laughs> I, I know. And and I had made a joke earlier that, you know, everyone was saying, no Giannis tonight, that's a win. As if we didn't get kind of spanked against the Nets when they didn't have Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Those are the elite teams in the East. Yep. I mean, hey, it's 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 rough even when they're missing their best player that they're still, you know, you know, outperforming the Pacers, but it just shows, hey, the Pacers, they need their complete team. They need your TJ Warrens, your your, your Miles Turners, your your Malcolm Brogdons in order to be able to compete against the rest of the elite in the East or the the, the elite in the league. So uh, with you know, just like you mentioned, with a couple bodies out, there's not much the Pacers could have done tonight. Sure, they could have played better, without a doubt. I mean, the Bucks, you know, if they had still continued to play everybody, they could have honestly hung about 150 or more on the Pacers tonight. It, it would have been real bad. There's there's about four minutes left. I would like to see all the young guys, all of them at this point. And 
I, I don't know. As I look over my shoulder, I see Goga getting some run. Um, but, you know, just, man, well, it was a tough one tonight. Sabonis only had 33 minutes tonight, so he's got to come in for the final four to get up to his average rate. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, that – so, anyway – not a not a great game for the Pacers, obviously. A very tough one as they're trailing in this game and have every time they got close to maybe cutting down to single digits, it's like Milwaukee hit two more, three more threes in a row. Pacers missed a couple in between there. And it just you can never stop that lead from, you know, getting more than twelve points, I think was the closest we got it to at one yeah. point. I thought, ooh, if we hit a three here, you know, maybe we can get something going. Then Connaughton hits a three from like five feet behind the three point line. It's like Connaughton was just unreal. I mean he could have shot blindfolded from half court. Probably would have went in somehow. And even if the rim rust was crooked for the Bucks, I think he still would have hit it just that kind of night from Milwaukee. So I'm not gonna overanalyze this game. Uh but you know it's just uh it's tough to see a loss like this after two big wins. But Hey, I'm still feeling pretty good about those games against Miami because what it showed me is this team, when fully healthy, can compete at a much higher level than they have been showing the last couple of weeks. And so uh, once this team, you know, I think Levert's starting to get back to himself a little bit. The guys off the bench are starting to get used to their role. Uh, If Lamb can shoot like this off the bench for the Pacers with Doug and with TJ, then, hey, that's great. If not, if this really, you know, spikes up his trade value this week, this big game right here on national TV, hey, that that's a positive too for the Pacers. So um, that's my take from the game, and uh, I'll let you wrap it up, Foch. Yeah, now just to wrap it up, look, if you're going to find something positive out of this, hopefully Jeremy Lamps, uh, you know, snapped out of his shooting slump. Uh, right now, I mean, I think we got to see the final clincher right now that Aaron Holiday, I don't know what they got to do right now. His trade value is – is, is in the gutter at this point. It's been buried in the dirt. I, I don't think it would make sense to just trade him for nothing right now. But, you know, it, it's going to be tough for him to snap out of this. And for Karis LeVert, just continue to just, you know, they're, they're allowing him to be him. And I, and I think that it's good that it's like, look, even if he struggles shooting the ball, the guy was off for about 50 days. I mean, it, it's going to take some time. So hopefully, Brogdon, Turner, you're well-rested. We got the Pistons coming up. I think it's a great opportunity to get back on track before you play the Mavericks. So there's some opportunities here. I saw enough fight, just like you mentioned, against the Heat in a one a blowout win and two, a game that you had a scratch and claw in overtime that I feel like the Pacers are turning the corner. Tonight, you can't judge them. Nope, not at all, Fachi. So where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find my co-host Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And when you forget about this Bucks game and remember the great game games the Pacers had against Miami Heat, all you can do is just look in the mirror with a big smile on your face and say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.